Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Derhage. It's uh, Roxanne Durhodge. Thanks again for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne. Um, now, today I have a special guest. And Charlie, Charlie, tell me your last name because it's not on your bio and it's escaping me right off the top. It's because it's from my website. I'm sorry. It's Charlie <laughs> Peck. P-E-C-K. Peck. Right. Charlie Peck. And I just, looked at, I just looked at her name on, as I was sending this. But anyway, so sorry about that. So I'm going to tell you, Charlie's got a bit of a unique background. And actually, Charlie had reached out to me a little while back. And me and my harriedness, I didn't realize. And she was, she's going back to school to be a therapist. And we had connected around that. And now she's coming on because she's done some phenomenal things since we spoke. And uh, I thought her complement of the things that she's doing in the world would be a good space um, for my listeners to kind of tune in. So a bit about her. Um, she has this passion to make the place a, a world a better place, uh, such a thing that most of us that end up in the field of, of social work and psych, uh, psychotherapy uh, are hoping to do. And she's hosting a new podcast. It's about to go live on March 3rd, she said. And it's called Advancing Humanity. Making, um, it's making its appearance, like she said, in, in this uh, March of this uh, uh, year. Um, she holds intriguing conversations with people who contribute to their quest and is willing to challenge the status quo. Um, as an American living in Canada, her, um, her worldly understanding of cultural diversity allows her to have an open mind and equitable discussion around a variety of topics. Her background also brings a new perspective as a teacher and uh, clinical therapist um, just finishing up now and a parent of three boys. So I'm sure that part is probably quite intriguing. Uh, how old are they? 16, nine and six. Oh, wow. So you've got uh, quite, you've got all the stages in there. <laughs> and uh, Charlie's uh, teaching and mental health training makes her an expert on helping people thrive, um, especially in their teen years. And as we know, we unfortunately are in a crisis with um, our teenagers. Um, so what a, what a valuable thing you're doing out there specializing with teens. Um, and she's eventually hoping to blend the professions to promote healthy uh, lifestyle practices throughout community education. Again, something that we're needing. Yeah. So, so you're an American. Yes, Ta I am. Where did you grow up? Kentucky, actually, Northern Kentucky, near oh. Ohio. Yeah. Wow. So, so how did you how did you end up in Canada? I got married to someone I met in Mexico. Believe it or not. <laughs> then, okay. <laughs> and uh, I ended up here, and then we got divorced. But I had a son with him, so decided to stay here. And then I got remarried had two more children, but to another American. So uh, yeah, every time we cross the border, they say, what the heck are you doing here? Okay, aren't you, aren't you going the wrong way? They must say at times, right? Like, <laughs> but it's fine. It's a it's great fine. life. So. so I often say that all of us that end up in the field of helping have a story. And I know, you know, my story I've written about in my book, 
what, what, what got you interested in helping people? I, I lost direction in my life in my early 20s, and it took me a long time to grow up. And so when I started teaching, I started teaching the social sciences and parenting classes, and I love, I love what I get to teach. And I've always had a background um, with human development and child development. And so I went through some hurdles and obstacles in my life like many people did, but I, I told you it, it, I had to grow up and it took me a long time. And so with all the hindsight, I realized that connection and health and reflection, all of it makes sense in growing as a person and I'm constantly growing. I really want to help people get over those hurdles in a way easier way than I, I did. So that's my drive. And then I, I get to teach. I get to teach every day. Teenagers. I love it. Uh, but I just feel like there's so much more I can do outside of the classroom. And I, I'd love to take that perspective and the skills I have and share it with people on a, a massive scale. And that's what led me to where I am today. So tell me, you're around teenagers all the time. I have a teenager <laughs> like you. Yes. What is the world missing with teenagers today that things are going so awry? Resilience is the one word answer. And I think a okay. lot of us understand that. I think what's important is we have to validate our teens as having real feelings and real struggles that they're in a really unique state of life. I mean, their brain is developing. We know so much more about the brain and that it doesn't finish developing until the mid twenties. And so that prefrontal cortex is in all the planning, all the decision-making, uh, the long-term consequences of their actions, all of that is still developing. And so we have to under understand our role as educators and parents and support people in the community of, of what we can do to help them thrive. So I think what we did 10 to 15 years ago is we started holding their hand a lot more. And I think coupled that coupled with technology infusing their life so much, I think we've done them a disservice. Mm -hmm. And so we, they don't have the proper social skills and the self-regulation skills. So that's where I think we're lacking. So the basic things that, um, you know, I often say, I grew up in Trinidad and Tobago and my mom would say, okay, you guys go outside. And I had five siblings and we would, we would have conflicts. Um, we, would, we would have garden parties. We would <laughs> plant little gardens. We would have, you know, and we would like, create all these games all the time. And then, you know, of course in the Caribbean, you know, you had fresh fruit. And so a lot of times we were like making up games and, and connecting and, and not liking each other sometimes and, yes. and hurting each other and then getting back together. And then, you know, so I think a lot of that taught me about, you know, connection and conflict and different things and how to entertain myself like it did my siblings, right? And I often think that today, that's one of the biggest things because unfortunately, like you said, with technology, what's happening today with people actually learning how to connect? You see it in the classrooms. Tell me what Absolutely. you see. Tell me what you see. Well, it's so complex. I mean, I don't think there's one answer and I think it's so individual, but overall, they need to be connected to something and some people, they need to be connected as people. We all do. It is a human drive, a human need. And so where teenagers, where they're hindered these days is all of their friends are online. All their friends are on social media. Mm -hmm. So if they're not connected to that, those people on social media, they're missing out. And that's detrimental to their growth. It really is. 
Um, that's why there's a lot of isolation. Uh, there's like a lot of mental health issues because of that feeling of isolation and missing out. It really is a thing. It's very complex though. I mean, it, it does go beyond like them. It's not that they can't solve problems. It's that their problems are a little different. And I think that we're not able to navigate that with them as well because we're not in their world as much. So we have to understand it better. And I don't know that we're always willing to, I mean, we have problems with families. I mean, I come from a family. I'm, I'm divorced, you know, I mean that my 16 year old comes from a divorced family and then my other two do not. And I can see the differences. We talked about how you get to go out, you got to go outside as kids and you had conflict and you dealt with that. Well, now we're dealing with helicopter parenting and such a blanket term. I mean, it's, it's really complex. The feelings that we parents have involved in that. And we really want the best for our kids, but we don't know how to give that to them. And so we feel like we growing up, like we had to play with them and entertain them and solve their problems for them so that they can have a good life. But that's part of the disservice we've done is, is we haven't let them solve some of their conflicts and it, it's hurting them. They're, they're not understanding how to do those things themselves. So the, the problems are there with technology too, because it's a different set of problems. So they are having such different problems that us as parents we didn't have them before, right? Like, I mean, if I wanted to talk to my friends <laughs> um, in Trinidad, uh, you know, I would have to like wait to use the phone, quite literally, right. right? Like, and to make that one phone call and, you know, not be on the phone too long because my parents knew what I was doing and it couldn't be, you know what I mean? If it was a boy, it was even worse. Right. All those things, right? So all those basic things that maybe my parents had to worry about today, your kids are in bed or you think they're in bed, they're connected. They're they're talking to people all the time, and these are people that they don't don't necessarily know. True. Maybe maybe on maybe when they're gaming types of things. So it's there's a lot like like to your a lot of complexity to things that we didn't fathom when we were growing up, and now we're trying to problem solve with teenagers. So what in your kind of uh, realm with teenagers in your class or just in in, in what you're specializing in school, what makes it difficult for teenagers to come forward? I think they, they like we did, I think they feel like they're not going to be understood, that we adults have no idea what they're experiencing. And I think they're right and I think they're wrong. I think that we don't validate them enough. We need to really listen to what their true concerns are and give them credit that they're actually reflecting more than we think they are and that they have capabilities more than than they think they do or then I mean one of the problems is when I teach my parenting class I always start off the course saying did your parents mess you up or set you up and they are like what <laughs> right and then I say but uh your parents are human beings and a lot of times they just don't know what to do with you because a teenager is is difficult in lots of ways they're trying to still need you but they also need to navigate away from you and that's very difficult for parents mm -hmm. we don't really know unless you're educated, unless you are thrown into it like I am and do the research, we don't really know what to do with them sometimes. We love them, but there's a lot of conflict. And so a lot of the conflict resolutions come up too. So I hear two things. And I, I, what I find fascinating is you're, like you're saying we're helicoptering. So we wanted to help them out that much more, but at the same time, we're not validating. Yes. So, so I'm, I'm, that's confusing if I, I'm listening and I, I understand what you're trying to say, but really if we're, if we're, if we're helicoptering, are we just doing for them without asking them what they need? Yes. 
That's right, Roxanne, because when you helicopter, and I'm not saying every parent doesn't does it, and I'm not saying I haven't done it, and I'm not saying that uh, the intention isn't good. It's always good. I think parents 99.9% .9 of the time have good intentions. It's that if we're doing things for them, we're not teaching them the skill and we're not teaching them to self-reflect and identify their feelings. Mm -hmm. And we're not, then we're not validating what they're actually feeling or experiencing. And so if we're doing it for them, we're not talking with them. We're not we're engaging with them enough to actually find what it is that they need to validate. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Because you know, one would think if I'm, if I'm doing everything, I'm really validating and I'm in a way I'm stifling, but it kind of sounds like I'm doing it for my own needs, right? So I'm, whatever I went through, I'm thinking, I'm just going to soften the blow for my kid and I want to make it better, like to your point. But if their problems are a bit different than say ours or mine or yours, when we were teenagers, you really have to have an open reflective lens to say, oh, well, what's that like when, you know, you're at home and you want to be social, but you don't know how to ask to be included. Well, that's true. Yeah. And that is a real problem for even young kids. Mm -hmm. So giving them the skill and schools are really catching on to this. They're doing a good job. They're teaching self-regulation skills and social skills earlier, which they really need to do. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, this could be argued too, that the problems aren't different uh, because teen, like, you can remember being a teen too. You wanted to feel included. You, you felt left out, and if not, you felt awkward. You were searching for your identity. We did that, too. I think that maybe it just shows up a little differently in our society, the way it is with technology. I mean, you can't argue that technology – yeah, you don't have a good argument if you say technology has had no influence today, because it absolutely has. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So maybe the way the problems are showing up is different than it did for us, but we can understand as adults and that we know how awkward it is to be a teen and how difficult it can be mm -hmm. to – there are some commonalities there that we can at least relate to. So we can go back a little bit and understand that with our teens and say, look, I don't understand your world like you do, but can you please tell me like, why are you feeling this way? What's happening right now to make you make that decision and walk with them through it and not for them. So I was just at the HRPAO conference in Toronto and you know, I'm going to tell you a fascinating story that I heard by one of the keynotes. He said, um, that people like Bill Gates, they did not, there was a, a school in Seattle where all the high um, end, um, you know, individuals and I, you know, on the tech world, their kids went there. Okay. And most, of, most of them were not allowed to be on tech until they were 13 years old. <laughs> oh, that is fascinating. Yeah based on the addictiveness that happens with, you know, um, being online, because again, brain development and, you know, structure. So I think what we're talking about here, and I don't know if you would agree, is just going back to some of the core basics of just being a parent, right? Like there's different stressors, there's different influences, but at the end of the day, you still have to parent um, like, like pretending like it was, you know, back in the fifties or the forties, even though the influences have shifted, you have to get back to the basics where like, to your point, you have to teach your child about, you know, consequences. You have to teach them about bad, good and bad decisions. You have to all those basic things. But I think we think that, oh, well, you know, and people are busier like stressed, like parents yes. are more stressed you know, yes. um, those types of things. So people aren't as home as much. So therefore, you know, um, the latchkey kid now becomes the kid that probably is a latchkey plus, but now they have maybe people online that 
could offer them that support. So there's so many different things that are variables that are impacting things. Um, yeah, it really is. I mean, the technology piece, they have so much freedom with that. Yes. Um, I, I struggle with that too. My middle child, he's a very gifted kid. He, he is, and kids are all gifted in, in each of their individual ways. They, they truly are. His is computer stuff. And I, he's only nine. So he doesn't play sports. I've tried many different activities for him. He will stay active in other ways, but he loves computers. And I struggle right now. I'm, I'm trying to decide, well, do I let him start coding more and let him dissect computer and maybe limit the screen time piece? Because I do know that there's a lot of research showing about changing brains, but then it's kind of, we're not sure how exactly. So I don't know. I don't know the answer. So we yeah. got to dive research more and, and, and see. It's right. tough. For sure, for sure. So resilience in today's age, is it different or does it look different? It looks different. That's a good question. Um, it looks different because if you talk to people who are older and they grew up, especially guys, and I, I have the perspective because I have three boys, so I look at it that way a little bit when I'm parenting, but they're tougher. They used to be tougher because they had to be. Mm -hmm. And it's not like it's, a, it's okay to be a guy and be weak. It, it's not what we're saying. It's, it, it's showing vulnerability, but we're not really that tough. Like we have taught our kids that there's support, 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 but I don't think we've done it the right way. So I think the way we're showing support is maybe not the right way. Mm -hmm. So they had to be tough because they had to survive. But at the same time, we know how trauma can affect people too. And I think a lot of kids have experienced trauma and that is showing up in their behaviors too. Yes. So kids in the past, yeah, maybe they were tough and thought and suck it up, but they were really struggling with something we should have addressed back then. So we are learning, but we're humans. So we're trying to adapt with what we have right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a difficult question. It's a difficult answer. I, and I think I, it's, it's a work in progress as uh, other than we know that our kids are that much more disconnected. Maybe, I, I, you know, I, I'll play devil's advocate. We know more about it because we're so connected now, right? Yeah. But we weren't seeing the suicides and stuff like that. You, you know, in, at least in my generation, I was, we weren't seeing that many suicides. Like I know in our area here, Charlie, like I, numerous Catherine's, you, mm -hmm. um, you know, I was seeing a client and, one person soon and I, I was seeing this client another person in that same friend group mm -hmm. also right so again there's a there's a that that mimicking that goes along with it also um you know yeah. which, is, which is so unfortunate so we have to believe that um there's so many elements and we need to explore and understand and research more about what does resilience mean in this day and age and what, be, what things we need to implement with the new stressors or maybe our, our uh, young adults are going through. Yeah. I mean, we just have to identify those and we have to listen to each other. We have to listen to our kids, really have to listen to our kids. I mean, I can't tell you, it's really shifted how I see my children when I just kind of shut my mouth and listen to them and, and read them and read them. But we still have to be parents. Like you said, get back to the yes. basics. There are some basics. And trust me, I, I have messed up many times. Uh, but getting to the boundaries, like just setting some boundaries, some clear boundaries with consistency, that is back to basics. Like this is what I'm going to fight with you about every single time. This, uh, let's see, you know, if I'm going to be rigid or porous here, let's, what's, what's a healthy boundary? So 
right, it's just right. the education, the psychoeducation is so important there too for parents. We're all struggling. So tell me, the podcast. What what yeah. does the what are you bringing to the podcast world now? You know, I'm not that I'm an expert. I've I've been hacking around like the rest of podcasters out there, hoping <laughs> that my message is being received in in uh, different arenas. Tell me what was the kind of the impetus to to start this? And it sounds fascinating. Even um, I, I love the title. Um, about what made you want to, to, to kind of create the podcast? Yeah, I've been thinking about how I can reach people on a larger scale. Um, and I told you earlier about how I feel like I'm not done in the classroom. Like the, the classroom is great. I just feel like I need to reach more people because I get to teach about social change. I get to teach skills. I get to teach people to think about the world with new perspectives and to, to challenge what, what they're going to do to make a difference. And if it needs to happen from just them or on a larger scale. So there's lots of topics I get to cover in my classes every day. So I'm constantly researching. And I started researching quite a bit about the teen brain 10 years ago. And they had new research out that was really capturing. And so that filtered into a lot of the lessons that I taught and prepared for. And so when I, was, when I teach my classes, I think, well, what can we do to make this world a better place? It always comes back to that question. What can you do? What can I do? What can we do together? And so that's why connection, health, innovation, those are the three main underlying themes to how we can advance humanity. Because mm -hmm. I don't want us just to survive and get by. There's too many of us who are suffering every day. And that's not a good way to go through life. Mm -hmm. I lost my sister friend four and a half years ago to cancer and I get to survive. And so I'm not just going to sit around. I'm going to thrive in this life that I have. And I'm not going to just show up for my kids. I want to show up for society and myself and my family. So those are, that's my passion. I, I hope it goes well. I think it will. I think so many of us want to be a part of this conversation. So I just, I want to be a part of a conversation and I want to share it on a massive scale. That's my goal. You know, and it, it's so it's so interesting, right? Because social change happens when big things go wrong, unfortunately. And that's as a society, that's that's where the impetus for change comes. But it doesn't necessarily have to be that. We unfortunately we have too much evidence in the mental health field around you and I to recognize that there's a lot of need. Unfortunately, I you know say there's a you know my was be like it'd be nice that I could just close up shop as a psychotherapist and never have that role again. But really, you know, because we, we use our brains so much now, like you think of your day and I think of my day. And when I'm mentally tired, it's because I haven't shut off my brain. You know, you, know, you, you, you take the downtime at night, but sometimes that you have to really make a conscious effort to really work on shutting down your brain. Even, you know, before it used to be easier. But now, because we're, I'm, I'm also very connected because of my business and all those things, that sometimes I have to consciously get away from all, all stimuli, um, you know, not do my audio books, which I think, oh, that's downtime. No, that's not down. You know, just go <laughs> and really, really practice the things that I teach. Right? That's hard to do, isn't it? Because you probably think of so many ways that you want to help people and, and you don't want to stop. And that's right. what tells you forward. Of yeah. course. I just, uh, just before I was waiting for you, I, um, I just happened to cross a, a, a post and there was a picture of um, Robin Williams, Kate Spade, and uh, the chef. What's his name? Um, oh, the one who's really boisterous. Uh, right. Yes. 
it's going to come back to me. But yeah. the, one, the one caption was they were talking about each of their personalities and they say they were always there for everybody else. They were always put together and they always had a zest for life. And, and the quote at the bottom says, realize that sometimes the people that per you perceive as the strongest are the ones that may be needing the biggest helping hand. Oh my gosh, that is so true. You can imagine a high school. We have 800 people in our high school. Yeah. And you know how the popular kids shine and right. there's some notable, just notable figures in our school. Right. And so I have literally had three or four boys come to me and cry over the last several years. I, I don't want to put a time frame on it because I don't want to single anyone out, but I'm telling you, it's been more than that, to be honest. And they come to me and they break down. And it's those kids who people think they have it all together. And so what I say to these guys is I say, do you think that so-and-so has it all together all the time? And they say, yeah, look at them. They're always happy. They're always, the people, they're so popular. They're involved in this and that. And I said, absolutely not. They, they don't. And because that frame, you know, the frame of life or that frame of mind as a teenager is just so uniquely different. And that's why I want to capture the teenagers and their parents. It's really important that we capture teenage. It's a triangular approach. Well, of, co of course you can't, you know, I often say, you know, I've had people say, okay, I'm not going to really slow down the car. I'm going to drop off the, the preteen or the teen and you fix him and her. And then I'll pick them up at, in 60 minutes. And I go, okay. And then I see the child for a bit. And, and then I'm like, I always say the parents up front. So here's the deal. Um, I cannot in isolation treat your child because you are a system and a family is a system like a, you know, a school is a system like, so I need, you know, he or she may be, and we know these, these terms, the IP, the, what we call the identified patient for anybody listening, not knowing what we, our terms are, but really at the end of the day, oftentimes, and you know this, you would know this, Charlie, from doing the work that you do and being a teacher, the symptom generally that the child is demonstrating has to do with something unless it's a real mental health concern. Um, mm -hmm. But even that, if, if parents are able to adapt accordingly to whatever is presenting with that child and adapt their, their situation, that child is able to land relatively well. That's right. That's right. That's why if, but if you don't know, you don't know. And right. so if you have that education for the teachers, the parents and the teen, now you've got everybody on board. And that's why I think there needs to be some psychoeducation around trauma-informed behaviors that might show up in your kid or in the classroom. And then within yourself, I mean, how, what better can we do to build resiliency than to provide these teens with tools of reflection and being able to identify things going on with themselves and then the opportunity to ask for help and where to get that help. I mean, it, it just, it's, it's, a, it's a big approach, but I know we can get there. We just we have to step into it. And that's what I'm hoping to do. That's what I'm, that's what I'm doing. I, no more sitting around. I'm, I'm done sitting around. Well, that podcast is going March, <laughs> March 3rd. It, there's no, there's no getting off that. Now you've said it out loud and I'm sure you've said it to other people, but now I've got it um, on video and on audio. Okay. So I think, I think the biggest thing that I find is they, um, when I have parents like that and they're not open, it's more difficult. So I have to really, really work. And sometimes the child is more motivated for change. The parents are longer to come along because the parents set, think I'm going to judge them. Mm. Yeah. Family therapists. I always say, I, I always say to my clients, look, 
I didn't come from an ideal upbringing. Did you? And then they look at me and they go, uh, I said, there was lots of positives, but there was a whole lot of negatives. So I don't know about you, but I, all I can tell you is from all the years that I've been doing this kind of work, in 25 years, most people have come in with imperfection. There's no ideal. There's no normal. And then they look at me and go, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then they start to open up about, you know, my parents were good parents, Financially, they took care of them. So based on how they perceived it is, well, they didn't talk to me much about much or they didn't teach me much, but they were good people. And I always say, I'm sure your parents were good people mm -hmm. and they did the best they could with what they had. Right. But now with information, right, we know that there's a different way to approach it. And then they go, oh, oh okay. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because right. it's not personal. But I think sometimes people are really afraid that you, they're going to be blamed for what's happening with the child versus, right. yeah, versus recognizing that there's could be tiny shifts and that in making those shifts, the child feels a little bit less pressure, those types of things. And then you can see the change. I don't know if you find that when you're doing uh, work with families or things like that. Yeah. I really do. Um, because again, it goes back to that validation. So not only the validation of what the teen is feeling and what they're coming into the family with, but it's also this perspective of the parent and making them feel human too. I love to humanize each party because that way each of them can maybe feel for the other person. It's really like, let's get down to the feelings here. Why are you resentful? Why are you feeling so angry? Brene Brown has awesome information and research yes. on this. Great speaker, as we all know. She talks about resiliency and being vulnerable so that we can set those boundaries and actually not be so angry and resentful anymore. It's really powerful. So I, I love that part of it. So tell us a little bit more specifically about who you'd like to attract for the podcast. Like who is it? Who's your ideal audience? Like who listening? Like let's say people have some ideas for guests for you or yeah. Um, things like that, and they could help you out. Who, who are you trying to get on? And yeah. what's, what's the ultimate goal that you have for this podcast? Let's say we're spanning out three years from now. Great. Yeah, what? I have a vision. I do have yeah. a vision. Okay, so I, tell me what it is. Yeah, thank you. Um, I, at first, I thought I would attract, attract more women. But then I realized, no, these are, there's going to be a wide variety in the audience Anybody who's an innovator, anyone who's in healthcare, anyone who's looking into mental health and changing the world and away from mental health, anyone who's evolutionary, um, anybody, and that, that could be scientifically based to see where we were as human beings, where we're going. That um, could be religious based. I mean, I, I've contacted Evan Alexander, and as you, I don't know if you know what he's, his book, Proof of Heaven, was amazing. And it was about, he's a um, neurosurgeon and went to a coma and, you know, his, his experience, because not everyone will agree, but it's very capturing is that he died and he went to heaven and he came back and he wrote a story about it. Mm. That really seems highly believable, at least to him, it's truth. And I say that because I know that there are people who discount it, but all I say is you need to read the book. You right. need, to, need to listen to him. So I reached out to him and I get to interview him and I get to learn from that perspective. Right, and then right. I, I also, um, there's a, there's somebody in charge of infectious, infectious diseases who I'm interviewing in a couple of weeks and we get to talk about the coronavirus, mm -hmm. how that affects people. And is it going to be a real threat and what kind of epidemics should we 
really be afraid of in the future of our lives. And then um, I also interviewed someone who's an amazing doctor. I mean, he graduated high school at 16 and college at like 19. Did oh his, my goodness. Right. He was at Johns Hopkins. He's in the forefront of a new treatment for um, cancer treatment, immunotherapy. And I get to talk to him. Mm -hmm. I talked to Eva Olson. She's a Holocaust survivor. And tell me, she doesn't have a great message about overcoming hatred in our society. So you can see there's a wide variety of topics I've already covered. So I'm looking for people who have merit. I, I want them to have merit because I want people to, to understand where they're coming from. But I want them to to be able to contribute to the conversation of how can we make this world a better place? What are you working on right now? What kind of mm -hmm. research have you done? Um, what are your experiences that have helped put uh, us in a better position to do better thrive as human beings? Sounds amazing. Sounds like you've uh, already thought this through and it's, it's uh, you know, there's a lot of podcasts out there, but when you have that passion and vision for it, um, you know, that's what's, happens right people they they hear that um they experience it um and i think i think truly um people want to make a difference i think collectively most of us i often say you know um it's our duty to make the world a better place every generation that we go right and yeah, we have great. much capacity now you you know i can sit in my rec room in Niagara Falls and speak to you, you know, here somewhere in Niagara, and it could be go all over the world and make a difference, right? And right. you never know whose life you're, you're touching based on who you kind of have on your podcast. It's so true. I just interviewed somebody today who's a domestic violence, I say victim, but really survivor. Yeah. And I said to her, I said, our listeners are hearing you right now and they're in a really devastating position right now. Reach through that microphone and speak to them. What, what can you do for them right now? Help them out. And that is my vision. I hope those people driving in their car are, are in that moment and I can help them through it and, and tease that out so that I can say, look, you are not alone. There are, there's a better life out there for you. That's what I'm hoping to do. Well, I'm excited. I hope that you'd eventually have me on as a guest and I'm going to yeah. tune in and, and make sure that I start listening so I can, uh, you know, add some um, value if I, if, or when I come on. Yeah. So tell uh, people what else you do. Um, so you're, you're finishing up your graduate uh, studies and uh, you're also uh, a therapist with a, a local agency here in Niagara mm -hmm. and you also speak. Yeah, so I was um, doing a lot of speaking engagements in the past, and then I had my third child, and I, I wanted to really throw myself back into teaching and not be split in too many directions. That wouldn't have been fair. Uh, but now I'm in a, a solid place, and I, I, that's, that's why I went back to get my master's degree in social work so that I can have a new perspective and, and get you know, my clinical skills. I wanted them to be in place because I would like to couple my education background and my clinical therapy skills. And that's how I want to approach my speaking. I have a lot of stories. I have a lot of information that's research-based, incredible, that I really want to share. And again, that triangulation approach, especially if I'm speaking to parents and frontline workers who work with teens and with teens. But I also spoke into groups of um, like managing life and stress on a business level. Again, getting the message out, I have lots of directions to go with it. So that is my vision as well. Awesome. Well, it's, it's, uh, it's been a delight uh, interviewing you. So 
Thank you. Any last words of wisdom uh, based on some of the things we're talking about or um, just your vision of, of things with the podcast or even uh, something from the perspective of parents and, and um, raising children? Yes, absolutely. One thing I've learned in my life uh, through all of these things I've done is just have compassion for people. People are not like you. They have their own backgrounds. Um, try not to judge until you have the whole story, then you can make a judgment, but just try to hear them because you might be the only person hearing them at that moment that might change their life. Awesome. Thanks so much, Charlie. So what's my, what's my takeaway? Uh, my takeaway is that we all come from different upbringings and you never know um, how people are going to perceive things. So in reference to teenagers, uh, the helicopter parent, I, I guess I, I, I speak to you to say, it's great that you have the intention to make things better for your kids, but stop and ask, what do you need? And is what I'm doing helping you or hurting you? And if, if I could change something, what would you like me to change so I can get closer to you? So if you can, that's a powerful question because you're putting the, the, the control back into your child's arms and you'd be shocked and then just be quiet and see what comes. And you never know what valuable information you're going to get. It may blow your mind because it may be very, very simple. It need not be some huge epiphany, but it may be something quite simple that you could actually implement that would shift the dynamic. So again, thanks again for tuning in. Thanks so much, Charlie, for giving us your time. Thank and you. uh, if you're needing any additional information on me, I'm Roxanne Durhaj. I'm a mental health and wellness specialist. And I do keynote speaking and training and coaching. Thanks a lot. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit roxannederhage.com slash blueprint. We'll see you next time on Authentic Living with Roxanne.